1: Two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Man. Kirk Herb Street is on the phone. We. This is hey. 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 It what is Thursday. October 13th, 2022. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for what should be a fun Thursday edition of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast presented by Bet Fred Sportsbook. Here's what you need to know about today's show. If you remember last week, we're starting to call the Thursday show the almost Friday show. In other words, I want to talk about the big games, but kind of talk about the narratives going in more so than previewing and breaking down and this is how it's going to go down. Well, we're going to start with Tennessee Alabama. And I know we're talking a lot of Alabama lately, but I'm just here to tell you Alabama, it does feel like if you listen to Nick Saban carefully, it does feel like he is worried about this game. I'm going to tell you what he said and why I think this is Nick Saban code for, "Hey, if my boys aren't ready, boys, you better be ready because if not, We are going to struggle. We are not beating Tennessee. I'll tell you what he said and what it means. From there, we'll switch to another SEC game that on paper doesn't feel that interesting. But Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss are hosting Auburn. Auburn is going to have a head coaching opening soon. And I am here to tell you, Auburn fans believe that they can potentially get Lane Kiffin as their next head coach. I'm not saying they can, but they believe that they can. And is this game an audition for Lane Kiffin? Finally, we do wrap with a little College Hoops news. Indiana-Kentucky basketball appears to be back on, and a crushing piece of injury news for the UConn men's basketball team. Before we get started, I want to remind you, as I just told you a minute ago, the Aaron Sports Podcast is presented by Betfred Sportsbook. I have loved working with Betfred here over the last couple weeks, last couple months, really since the start of football season. They are, listen, I told you this story, but I'm going to tell you again, love sharing their story. Been around since 1967, 1,600 books across the UK. They have come to the U.S. and they are making a splash in a major way. They are the presenting sponsor of the Denver Broncos, of the Cincinnati Bengals, of the Colorado Rockies, and of Aaron Torres Media. And they do more for their customers than anybody in the sports gambling space. Told you last week, we gave away VIP tickets here on this show to the Broncos Colts tailgate Also, on top of that, they got the Betfred suite at Cincinnati Bengals games, and we're going to have some giveaways for that. So stay tuned. Colorado Rockies first pitch. Betfred does more than any other sportsbook for their customers. And here's what they're doing for listeners of the Aaron Sports Podcast, okay? Bet 250 on any college football game this weekend, any game, whatever you like, Tennessee, Alabama, Michigan, Penn State, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Auburn, Ole Miss, bet 50 on any game first time users you get 250 in free bets courtesy of the betfred sportsbook. also we will have the aaron torres boost later on in the week i will tell you what that is so stay tuned i want to thank betfred as our presenting sponsor and thank you for their support of the aaron torres sports podcast but with that said let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day i swear I I don't go into a week planning on talking as much Alabama as we do. But obviously, over the last three, four weeks, Alabama has played a bunch of super marquee games. Two, three weeks ago, it was a top 15 matchup with Arkansas. Last week, it was obviously the very highly anticipated matchup with Texas A&M. And now this coming Saturday, the third Saturday in October. A rivalry that used to be one of the great ones in college football hasn't been for a while. It appears to be back on in terms of a very good rivalry as Alabama goes to Tennessee. Tennessee ranked in the top 10. I believe it's the first time since the 1980s both of these teams entered the game undefeated. And really, as we start to look ahead to this game, and obviously we'll talk about it more on Friday's show, the big question becomes, you know, what's the status of Bryce Young? Alabama star quarterback hurt his shoulder against Arkansas, did not play last week. I think we're all kind of trying to figure out, will he play? Will he not play? And if Bryce Young does not play, what does it mean for Alabama? Are they on upset alert? And spoiler alert, yeah, I kind of think they are. I don't think that's a hot take or a strong opinion. I think Tennessee is in a very advantageous spot if Bryce Young can't play. Here's the question, though. Whether Bryce Young can play, even if he can't, even if he's on the field, but he's less than 100%, should Alabama fans be concerned? Well, I'll tell you this. I listened to some of what Nick Saban said this week. I actually believe Nick Saban is very concerned. And one thing about Nick Saban, and this is what I love, not only covering college football, but really following the Nick Saban era at Alabama. I'm sure he was the same way at LSU. I don't remember that time. But the thing about Nick Saban is if you listen closely, as I've told you many times, there's the message that he delivers, the words that come out of his mouth, but then the message that he's really trying to deliver And I think he delivered a very, very, very interesting message over the last couple of days. That message, uh, Tennessee's really good. I am very worried about them. And if we don't clean things up, forget those other 85 guys across the field in orange. If we don't clean things up in our locker room, it doesn't matter if Bryce Young plays. If he doesn't play, we're in a lot of trouble. And so what did Nick Saban say this week that has me believing that I think that Nick Saban thinks that he's concerned? Well, first of all, you go back to the Monday press conference. A couple things. One, he was asked about Tennessee. This is what he said. We're going to play a really good Tennessee team. This game means a lot to the people in Alabama. It's kind of a rivalry game, and it's always been an important game for us. Tennessee's got an outstanding team. They're undefeated. Josh has done a really, really good job. They're probably one of the most explosive offenses, if not the most explosive offense in the country. They got a really really good wide receivers, four guys that have a lot of production. They've got two really good running backs, a lot of production. The quarterback Hooker has really done a nice job executing their offense. He's one of the leading pass efficiency guys in the country as well as his ability to extend plays and make plays with his feet. He's a very good athlete all around and has had an outstanding year. Listen, I know that's not groundbreaking stuff, but what I would say is again, in covering Nick Saban, what that message is to me, it's very rare that he is that open, that transparent, and that in-depth about the quality of an opponent. So what that says to me is, first of all, he's done his homework. Uh, unlike many you know, sometimes he criticizes the media for overlooking opponents. I think he really respects not only the personnel that Tennessee has, but more importantly, how Josh Heupel is deploying them, right? Number one offense in the country. This is an offense that just put up 40 points in Baton Rouge the other day against LSU. This is a team that put up 38 points against uh, against Florida a few weeks ago. This is a team that's been able to move the ball on everybody. And it is very clear that they have the respect of Nick Saban as they should. But again, it's very rare that you hear him go that in depth with that much respect, that much detail on an opponent. But to me, what that says is he is saying to his team publicly, hey, that team over there. That team's good enough to beat you. They got six, seven guys that are good enough to make big plays on any given play. And if we don't come in focused, they're going to make us look bad. Still, that, though, is not really what stood out to me in terms of listening to what Nick Saban had to say about Tennessee. Um, Because, again, I went back and listened to his Monday press conference, and there was a second part that was even more telling to me. So the first part, it's clear that he has respect for Tennessee. The second part, listen to this, and I think it's going to blow your mind. Here is what he had to say about his own team on Monday in the lead up to the Tennessee game. He said, I think it's fairly obvious that there's a lot of things that we need to work on. We need to evaluate personnel, evaluate consistency in performance, evaluate priority of getting your job done the right way so that we can have a little more consistency in our performance. We didn't take advantage of opportunities when we had them in the last game. And that's certainly something that's going to catch up to you. Players have to understand you got to go do things to keep from losing before you can think about winning, which is turning the ball over, making mental errors, reading things correctly so that we can execute plays the way they're designed. And that's something that as a whole, as an organization, we need to do a better job of working together with the players and the coaches so that we can do a better job of getting that right. Listen again to what Nick Saban just said. Players have to understand you've got to do the things to keep you from losing before you can think about winning. And so again, what that quote from Nick Saban says to me, and I think it's really important, what he just said was this. This saying, we're coming off the Texas A&M game now. We had four turnovers. We needed a goal line stand on the final play, and there was a penalty in the red zone that set up a one-play, winner winner-take-all game for Texas A&M. He said, this ain't really about Bryce Young. This is about the other 84 guys in the locker room coming in more focused, more locked in, more ready to go, and doing the things that they need to do to win. And so when I hear that quote, and when you really dig into the numbers, not only is Nick Saban onto something, I think he is genuinely concerned. And oh, by the way, he probably should be. What are the things when you talk about mental errors and getting your mind right? What are the things that you need to work on as a football player? We all know, you know, come on. You know, I don't need to dig it out of you. First off, it's penalties and it's turnovers. And Alabama is really bad in both. And I don't think I realized just how bad they were until I read this Nick Saban quote when I really dug into it. Do you know that right now, as I record here, On late Wednesday night, Alabama is currently ranked 118th out of 131 teams in turnover margin. 118th out of 131 teams in turnover margin. So they are turning the ball over a lot. Right now, they have already turned the ball over nine times in six games. And I know some people would sit there and say, well, you know, who cares? It was four turnovers last week with a backup quarterback. If you break it down, that's five and five games. Well, one, that's not good. But two, what it also says, Alabama's not forcing any other turnovers as well. Would you believe that Alabama on the season has forced three total turnovers all season long? Think about who they played. Vanderbilt, Utah State. Uh, I can't even remember who else. they, They played somebody else really bad. They played Texas with mostly a backup quarterback. They played Texas A&M with mostly a backup quarterback. And they forced three total turnovers? That's not going to get the job done. And that's the point that Nick Saban's trying to say. It's one thing if we're playing clean football and the other team is just as good as us. But we are beating ourselves. And I think that's an important note here. Because the one thing Alabama's never done since I started watching Nick Saban, they have never beaten themselves. And as a matter of fact, I went back to look at it just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. Last year, they ranked in the top 25 nationally in turnover margin in a positive way in terms of you know the margin itself, in terms of the turnovers that they forced relative to the opponents. Remember, a couple of those came in the national championship game against Georgia. So much deeper into the season, they were much more successful playing superior competition because they played Georgia twice late in the year as well as Cincinnati. So this has been something that Alabama has thrived on through the years and instead, it's the exact opposite. They are struggling right now. You know what else stands out? They're, they're, they're committing a lot of penalties. And it's interesting because I go back to that Texas game. If you remember the Texas game, I remember watching it, and I was sitting there. You know, I was like, damn, Alabama's kind of all over the place. Go back to that game. 15 total penalties in that game, which was the most of the Nick Saban era and i had kind of in the back of my mind just assume well you know that you know that's done and that's over whatever uh, no it isn't no it isn't that Al- or that texas that texas game was not a one off alabama had 10 turnover 10 uh, penalties excuse me against arkansas the last time they went on the road so think about that they are averaging 12 and a half penalties per game when they go on the road they had 15 against texas 10 against arkansas That is not going to get the job done against the Tennessee team that you can't be giving free plays and free yards to. On the season, by the way, they rank 117th out of 131 teams. So just think about what I'm saying about Alabama right now and think about what Nick Saban said. What did Nick Saban say? What is the exact quote? The exact quote that Nick Saban dropped. The exact quote was, you've got to do the things to keep from losing before you can think about winning. Well, this whole situation sounds to me, like a program that is making losing decisions right now and losing plays. Doesn't mean the players are losers. Doesn't mean the coaching staff has lost his touch. Doesn't mean Nick Saban lost his fastball. But when you are one of the most penalized teams in college football, and you have one of the worst turnover margins in college football, that just doesn't sound like Alabama. And so what is very clear to me, the message that Nick Saban tried to deliver, loud and clear to his team on uh, Monday and Tuesday of this week, It ain't about Bryce Young. It ain't about whether Bryce Young plays or not. If we don't lock in, if we don't focus, if we don't play much better than we've played the last two times that we've been on the road, we're going to lose this game. And so that's my big takeaway from the week. And I'll tell you, it sounds to me like Nick Saban is nervous. Now, the good news if you're an Alabama fan, and we talked about this after the Arkansas game, is that if Bryce Young is back, I thought they finally, Alabama as a team, started to turn a corner in that first half against Arkansas. Then Bryce Young gets hurt, and it feels like they obviously, it goes without saying, play with a much, much more uh, much, much more confidence, excuse me, when Bryce Young is on the field. But right now we don't know the status, and to be blunt, I don't think Nick Saban cares about the quarterback. I mean, that's not that he doesn't care, but I, I think he's saying it ain't about Bryce Young. It's about the 11 guys on defense. It's about not turning the ball over. It's not about forcing penalties. It's about taking care of the football. Because if we don't do that, it doesn't matter who plays quarterback. We are going to lose. Very interesting conversation from Nick Saban. And I'm not going to lie. We'll preview the game on Friday's show. Be a little bit worried if I was an Alabama fan right now. I really truly would. I just want to do. I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. And I do want to talk about a different game on Saturday. We will talk a little bit about Auburn Ole Miss.
0: they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Alright, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do... I want to remind you about the NFL Pick'em Challenge, the Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge, presented by our friends at Bracket Fanatics. They're giving away so much free cash, I don't even know what to tell you. Okay, so here's the deal. First of all, if you have not signed up, make sure to do so. Go to BracketFanatics.com, join Bracket. The Bracket name is Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S. If you have already signed up, make sure to make your Week 6 picks, obviously starting Thursday night, Washington playing Chicago. For those those of you wondering, what do I sign up? Why do I do it? What's the deal? What's the catch? First of all, completely free to enter. That's the best part. Second of all, we are giving away $100 weekly winners. We've given away four so far. We'll name our week five winner later in the week. And here's the best part. That goes on all season. So sign up for this week. Sign up for next week. Sign up for the week after. Every week you enter, make picks straight up no against the spread no nothing you're automatically entered to win a hundred dollar cash prize we are also giving away a thousand dollar season long cash prize for the person with the most total correct picks so even if you signed up late it's not too late get in the action sign up now make a bunch of correct picks you are entered to win a thousand dollar cash prize that's the deal Bracketfanatics.com, join bracket bracket name torres t-o-r-r-e-s do that $100 weekly winners. We'll name our week five winner later this week. $1,000 season long cash prize. We want to thank Bracket Fanatics for everything they've done for the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket. Bracket.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void reporting prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, everybody. I'm
1: back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to continue the college football conversation, but go in another direction with another SEC game. And so, obviously, we just talked about Tennessee Alabama. It's the game of the weekend. All the great things we love about the SEC. Pac Stadium, two great rivals. CBS will be there. Let's talk about a game where that basically has none of that. Uh, that would be Auburn. That would be Ole Miss. They are playing Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, 11 local time in Oxford. Uh, Ole Miss is a 14 and a half point favorite in the Betfred Fred Sportsbook, and I think they will cover with ease. They're a really good team. Auburn is not. And so the reason I want to talk about this game is not to preview it, not to break it down, not to tell you if Auburn does this, look out for it. No, that's not what this is about. Instead, why I want to talk about it is because there is a very interesting subplot going in. Auburn, we all know, at some point is going to need a head coach. And Auburn fans believe that Lane Kiffin is very much a candidate for that job. Now, some would say he wouldn't be interested. Why would he go? I can tell you. I've talked to somebody pretty high up in college football, kind of that coaching ecosystem that said they believe that Lane Kiffin would be interested in the job. Not that he would definitively leave, but they'd at least be interested. And so if he's potentially interested and we know Auburn is going to have a vacancy, it's worth discussing right now. Is it possible that Saturday serves as an audition for Lane Kiffin? To be the next Auburn head coach. And so just as a little bit of background, I think everybody kind of knows the context here, but it's worth noting. Obviously, Auburn currently has a head coach right now. Brian Harson ain't making it through the year. And listen, I've talked about it a million times. I'm not going to go through it again. Um, I, I don't love the way that Brian Harson was treated last year by the folks, by some folks at Auburn. I always like to say some, not all. But I also think it's clear at this point, he was able to keep the job. He had his chance in the offseason, and it's just not working, right? Uh, the team's 3-3 three and three right now. There's no shame in losing to Georgia, but they got destroyed by Penn State at home. They lost to LSU in a game they had a 17-point lead, and also they probably should have lost to Missouri. So at best, they probably realistically should be 2-4 and four with wins over Mercer and San Jose State. They've been completely underwhelming. And it's just clear, like, he's not the guy. He's not going to be the guy. And so the conversation becomes, are they going to move off the, off of him? Why haven't they yet? And really, I think the only reason that they haven't, to be perfectly honest, I think the focus at Auburn right now is to hire an athletic director. Their previous athletic director, Alan Green, left a few months ago. He was the guy that brought in Brian Harson. Right now, they are interviewing candidates. And I think probably part of the candidate process is which candidate can guarantee that he can get in the room With some of the biggest name kind of candidates for the potential head coaching job, and so I bring it up to say, I think the AD is the focus right now. But I also do think, in theory, this could be the weekend um, if Auburn loses, like we all expect. And the reason being, Auburn is going into a bye week after this game. That is traditionally when a lot of these moves get made when we know they're inevitable. Uh, It happened with Scott Frost a few weeks. No, it didn't happen with Scott Frost. I take that back. They were a week away from the bye, but. It happens a lot just to kind of, you know, give time for everything, everybody to settle down. It allows the new coach to kind of just get in and, and, and calm things down. You're not immediately going into game week with a new head coach. And so I think there's a lot of reasons why it could be this week that Brian Harson gets let go. Don't wish it upon anybody. Don't wish anybody to get fired. But this is the reality we deal with in big boy college football. And so when Brian Harson is ultimately let go, I mean, obviously, look, we know who the candidates would be. We've talked about Deion Sanders. I think Hugh Freeze would be great as the head coach at Auburn, Um, and I think he's very much going to be a candidate should he want that job. He makes a lot of money at Liberty, Um, but also Lane Kiffin is another guy that is very much a candidate for this job, and so as I look at Lane Kiffin's candidacy, um, you know, I think there's probably two different camps of people like you know, I don't know. Do you think Lane Kiffin would take the job? Do you think he wouldn't? What do you think? Da-da-da-da-da. And obviously from the Auburn perspective, I think they hope history repeats itself. For people who know college football, they know that Tommy Tuberville in 1998 was the Ole Miss coach, left Ole Miss, took the Auburn job. The question becomes, is it a better job in the current era? Would Lane Kiffin leave? A couple thoughts on that. You know, one, I understand where people would just say Lane Kiffin is not leaving Auburn for Ole Miss. He might leave at some point. It might happen. It ain't going to happen right now, not with this job. I can understand people would make that argument. Lane Kiffin makes like seven and a half million dollars a year to be the head coach at Ole Miss. Okay, On top of that, uh, his daughter's in school there. He seems to be, by all accounts, absolutely beloved by that fan base. And so I could see the scenario where even if Auburn called, he just said, like, look, I got a good thing going. I'm not saying I'm staying here forever. But right now, this just isn't the time for me to leave. And this isn't the job for me to leave. And if that happens, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think most people would be surprised, even Auburn fans. At the same time, though, I think if you really break it down, I do think there's reasons why it would make sense for Lane Kiffin to leave, including some things that Lane Kiffin has done himself. Okay, so just let's just think about this from a logical perspective. First of all, we can argue how much better of a job Auburn is in the modern era of college football. It is a better job, though. Let's make no mistake about it. It is a better job. Uh, Auburn, last decade or so, has played for a national championship, 2013. I was at that game at the Rose Bowl against Florida State. Twice in the last 15 years, they've played for a title. They won one, obviously, with Cam Newton back in 2011, I guess it would have been, 2010, 2010. So played for a title in 2013, won a title in 2010. They also, oh, by the way, had an undefeated season in 2004. If there's a 14 college football playoff, they potentially win a national championship that year. And so I'm not claiming it's Alabama. But at the same time, I'm not claiming it's LSU or whatever. But at the same time, three times in the last 18 years, Auburn has had a a team good enough to win a national championship. I thought it was very interesting. I looked it up. Since Nick Saban got to Alabama, in 2007, really since they, let me put it this way, since he won his first SEC West in 2008. In total, there's only been five years that Alabama did not win the SEC West. It's actually Auburn that's won the SEC West more than any other school during the Nick Saban era. They've won three, LSU has won two, everybody else has won zero. Ole Miss has never been to the SEC championship game. So Auburn's just a better job flat out. I think the other thing you got to consider Who was the biggest person that was the most outspoken this offseason about how much they hate the new world of college football with NIL? It wasn't Nick Saban. It was Lane Kiffin. As a matter of fact, Lane Kiffin caused the first Jimbo Fisher press conference that people don't remember before the second one that everybody does after the Nick Saban situation. You go back. Lane Kiffin was basically like, this is pro football. Some teams have a salary cap, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not here to accuse Texas A&M of everything. You guys and girls know where I stand on that. I've discussed it many times. But at the same time, Lane Kiffin has seemed very unhappy with the state of NIL, with the state of the transfer portal, although he's maybe not the transfer portal because he's taking advantage of it. And I do wonder, will he stick around in this next era, right? And, and like I think this is an important thing to think about as we talk about any of these jobs, is that especially at the highest level where you can or you're competing to win national championship. If this simply becomes a pay for play bidding on the best players, then guess what? You got to go to a place where the money is good, where you can actually get in on, on, you know, literally having to bid for the best players. And so I don't know Auburn's situation from everybody else's. I know they played paid Gus Malzahn 21 million plus to go away a few years ago. I know they're about to play pay Brian Harson like 15 million plus to go away. I know they just gave Bruce Pearl a lifetime contract over there. I know there's two or three really big boosters that really just want anything, you know, want anything to happen for Auburn to win. And so if NIL is the next front on this, then I think Auburn's going to do everything they can in NIL. And so I think when you factor that in with, oh, by the way, Lane Kiffin hasn't been very happy with his fan base this year. Remember, before the Kentucky game, what did he say? Go back and look at what he said. He wasn't happy with the fans. Here was his exact quote complaining about fans being in seats for games. He said, when you come back out, when you run through the tunnel and it looks like a high school game playing in a college stadium, you can't let that affect you. He just called his fan base basically a high school fan base. And so that's not a criticism of Lane Kiffin, but it's clear that there are certain things about the Ole Miss job that he is not happy with right now. Now, how unhappy is he with the NIL situation? How unhappy is he with the fan base? But what I will tell you, I've been covering college sports a long time. The one thing that always stands out to me, you talk to coaches about a lot of different things. Why do you leave for another job? There's a lot of factors, family, access to talent, whatever. But the number one reason that coaches end up leaving places for other places, there is nothing that frustrates a coach more, especially at a place like Ole Miss in the SEC, where you have schools that are legitimately doing every single thing they can to put their teams in position to win a national championship the one thing that'll push a coach out of there or any school, doesn't matter if it's Ole Miss, could be anywhere in the SEC, Big 10, Pac-12, whatever. If you believe that your competitors are doing everything that they can to win at the highest level and your school is not supporting you in that way, that's the quickest way to get a good coach to go somewhere else. So I have no idea if Lane Kiffin is really interested. I've heard some interesting things and there's going to be other good candidates when this job opens up. But at the same time, I do think it's interesting. I do think it's worth considering. Saturday, if Lane Kiffin is interested, this very well could be an audition for the Auburn Head Coaching Challenge. All right, this is what I want to do. Do you want to take a quick break? Do you want to come back? And when I come back, I want to wrap some college hoops. We got some really fun scheduling news Kentucky, Indiana is back on, according to John Rothstein. And we got some very bad news. UConn star Andre Jackson is going to be out for a while. We'll discuss that all. Take a quick break. I will be. All right, everybody, I'm back. Good to be back, good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap with a little bit of college hoops. You know, I told you on Wednesday's show that as we inch closer to college basketball, we're going to kind of ramp up the coverage here on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, but also across Aaron Torres Media. So just as an example, uh, Wednesday, we started our 30 for 30 series on Aaron Torres Online website on AaronTorresOnline.com. Previewing the 30 most interesting teams in the sport. We started with Memphis. We will talk about Illinois on Thursday. And from there, we'll do all the big programs. Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, UCLA, Arkansas, Tennessee, on and on and on. UConn, who we'll obviously talk about in a minute. And so a lot of College Hoops stuff. But on Wednesday, we did get two pretty big pieces of College Hoops news that I want to discuss. One positive, one not so positive. Hint, it's that UConn piece that I was just talking about. But the first piece of news that I do want to get into, it is a big one, it is important, it is interesting, and it is great for college basketball. It is the news, via John Rothstein, that Kentucky and Indiana, this is a rivalry that was once one of the great rivalries in all of college basketball. It has gone away for about a decade. There's been this weird public back and forth, will it come back, won't it? Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've started to get hints that it might be on its way. Uh, Matt Jones from Kentucky Sports Radio said that, you know, no inside information, but he thinks that it could be possible. I think Dan Dockich from the Kentucky side said as much uh, something similar. And Mike Woodson on John Rothstein's podcast said that he's hoping to get it back here in the future. Well, John Rothstein was really good at what he does. Uh, He put out a report on Wednesday that the two sides are in advanced discussions and it sounds very much like this rivalry is coming back. We don't have a ton of details right now. Nothing is even official. But let me say this. Ross wanted to put it out there. Rothstein's great at what he does. He wouldn't have put it out there unless it was on its way back. Let me tell you, this is great for college basketball and a really, really fun story to monitor here over the next couple of weeks. Now, what I would say about this whole situation, it's really kind of interesting. So like I said, this was at one point, I mean, really one of the great rivalries in college basketball. You go back, read the Wikipedia page. I mean, Joe B. Hall and Bob Knight almost got in a fistfight one year. Um, you know, they used to play at the RCA Dome in Indianapolis in front of 45, 50,000 people well before uh, we played college basketball and stadiums at the final four football stadiums at the Final four. And so this has always been a great rivalry, but over the last decade or so it went away and it really kind of went away for one very specific reason. The two teams played in 2011. That was obviously the fall of the year that Kentucky won the national championship with Anthony Davis. And uh, as every Kentucky and Indiana fan listening right now knows, Indiana won at the buzzer, walk-off shot, court storming Christian Watford. If you've never seen the video, you can go find it on you on YouTube or Twitter or whatever. It's very easy to find. From there, John uh, John Calipari basically just said, "Like, look, this isn't safe. I'm not bringing my players back here ever again. If you guys and girls want to play this game, it's going to have to be on a neutral court." And so but there's been this very public back and forth between the two sides about we'll be played in neutrals, will it be played in home and homes. Indiana wanted the home and homes, especially when Tom Crean was the head coach. Uh, John Calipari's only one in neutrals. Archie Miller, when he was there, I asked him on this podcast, he said he was working to bring it back. So it has been out there forever, but it feels like we are on the home stages. And all that John Rothstein really said about this was as follows. He said, one, this isn't coming for a couple years. And then two, that it will be a combination of home and home as well as neutral courts, which led everybody on social media to say the same thing, that by the time it comes, if it's two, three, four years down the road and then you play a couple of neutral courts, John Calipari is probably going to be retired before he ever goes back to Assembly Hall. So that's the nuts and bolts of it. But let me just kind of get into some quick reaction. I think this is great for college basketball. And you guys and girls know my stance. I always talk about it. Anytime we get big names, big brands, big schools playing together early in the season, I think it's good. But I do think in this case, it's especially good. First of all, just two massive college basketball brands. And I understand for people of a certain age, Indiana hasn't been very good. I get all that. Kentucky has obviously um, been very good under John Calipari over the last 15 or so years. Indiana has not. Indiana still moves the needle. I, they have one of the most passionate fan bases, one of the biggest followings on social media. I, I, I think they might be one of only two or three basketball programs with over a million followers on Twitter. Uh, our Mike F. And Woodson T-shirts, I can tell you by the number of T-shirts that we sell, by the different places that they go, this is a massive fan base. And so even when Indiana is not good, I mean, think about when they play Duke in the Big Twelve, Big 10 ACC Challenge or North Carolina in the Big 10 ACC Challenge or when they make an NCAA tournament, when they have a big home game or a big road game, they're still a big brand. People still tune in. And especially in those early months of college basketball. What do we always say about college basketball? College basketball is a sport run by the brands, run by the head coaches. And these are two brands that people tune into whenever they play, wherever they play. So when they play, that's going to be very good for college basketball. On top of that, Why this is also good. These are two fan bases that do not like each other at all. Okay, and, and, you know, we got a lot of Kentucky fans that listen. We got a lot of Indiana fans that listen. You guys and girls could tell me better as to why y'all don't like each other besides the fact that it's a rivalry. But you do not. And I know Kentucky fans, they'll sit there and say, uh, you know, we've moved past Indiana. We've got other rivals. We play Louisville. We play in the Champions Classic. We play in the CBS Sports Classic. Like, Indiana doesn't matter to us. Well, what I can tell you is I remember when Indiana and Kentucky played in the NCAA tournament in the 2016 season, I believe. It still felt like it mattered to me. And that's why this is so great, right? It's one thing to get even great teams on a neutral court, to get Duke and Kentucky, to get Kentucky and Gonzaga like we're going to get this year, to get Gonzaga and UCLA, Gonzaga and Arizona, whatever. But there's a difference between rivalry, you know, great games put together for TV purposes. And this is for college football as well. And then there's great games that are rivalries because the two sides hate each other. Like Alabama playing Texas is great. It's great for TV. It's great for college football. It doesn't feel the same as Alabama-Auburn where the two sides genuinely hate each other. And that's exactly what Indiana and Kentucky do. Finally, and this is important, like, I think this can become one of the signature events of the college basketball season, something that if it extends beyond a couple years, um, I think this can be one of the events that everybody kind of sets their clock to. Right. Back before this series was canceled, it was a game that was played generally uh, mid-December, basically one of those two or three weekends between when the college football regular season ends and when the bowl games begin. Now, obviously, we're going to a world where there's going to be an an expanded college football playoff. So I don't know what it means for the TV schedule, but I would still imagine there's probably going to be maybe one weekend where there's no college football. Or if there is college football, there's going to be a window to put on this game to maybe lead into, say, a college football quarterfinal or an opening round game, college football playoff game. So imagine going from, you know, 40,000 people. It, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis or 24,000 people at Rupp Arena on the second weekend of, of, of December to a college football playoff game or the first weekend in December to the SEC championship game. I think this has a chance to be one of the signature events in college basketball and I cannot wait for it to get started. Now we don't know exactly when it's going to start but you talk about something that should be really, really, really fun for everyone in college basketball. I cannot wait. Kentucky fans, I know. We don't need Indiana, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be fun. By the way, Kentucky. You know, John Calipari for years got criticized about all the neutral site games and too many bad teams on the schedule. Y'all ain't got to worry about that next four five six years, right? Six game series with Gonzaga, two at Rupp, two in Spokane, one in Nashville, one in wherever the other one is. Why am I blanking? Uh, Seattle, I guess it is. So basically, two in Rup, one in Nashville next, next six years. Now, probably at least one or two games at Rupp, a game or two at Assembly Hall, and maybe Indy, maybe Louisville. That's where they used to play these games. Really, really good for college basketball. Finally, let me wrap the show. Another piece of College Hoops news that is not very good news, but I try to keep you updated on everything and just kind of tell you my quick thoughts. Uh, We did get some injury news that is very unfortunate on Wednesday when we found out that UConn starting forward, Andre Jackson, I'd argue he's their most important player coming into the year, even more so than Adama Sonogo, who was all Big East first team last year. Andre Jackson broke a finger and is out for a while. He'll be reevaluated in November. Let me just say brutal loss for UConn. Okay, so I think if you just look at the stats you say, who's this Andre Jackson guy? He averaged like 7.7 rebounds a game last year. Not a guy that stands out as like a very crucial player. What I would encourage you to do, though, Google 2023 NBA mock drafts. Okay, this is a guy with insane upside, insane athleticism. And Dan Hurley has talked all offseason about the way that he is continuing to develop and evolve and get better as a basketball player. So why do I bring it up? He's a guy that people were talking about as a first-round NBA draft pick this year and a guy that I think many people believe would have been a first-team all-Big East-type player. Now he's out till at least November. So tough for UConn. And UConn does not have an easy schedule, by the way. They play in the PK-85. That's the big Phil Knight tournament out in Portland. They could potentially play North Carolina, I believe. I think they're on the North Carolina side of the bracket, could play North Carolina, could ironically play Villanova out there. And then they come home they got to play Oklahoma State, they got to play Florida, they got some big games in the out of conference. So obviously one, you hope he gets healthy. You know, the good thing is I guess this isn't something that strikes me as a lingering injury. Like it's not like a knee or an ankle or a hamstring that could just go on for weeks and weeks and weeks. But at the same time, man that is tough for you. And I'll say this, man, like I don't know, like like I'm sure other programs deal with all sorts of injuries. I can't think of any program that has had worse injury luck than UConn Athletics has over the past probably two years. Last year in basketball, it was a situation where basically every marquee player missed two, three, four games. Uh, they beat Auburn. Remember, they were the only team that beat Auburn for about three months of the season. Auburn started 23-1, 22-1, something like that. UConn beat some Isaiah Whaley faints walking off the court. Thankfully, he was fine. It was just dehydration. He did not play the next two games. UConn loses. Then they come back. Isaiah Whaley's fine. Tyrese Martin gets hurt. Then he comes back. Adama Sanogo gets hurt. Jordan Hawkins gets hurt later in the year. So I'm nerding out on UConn right now, but injuries all last season. Then in this offseason, Paige Beckers, the best player in women's college basketball, hurts her knee. She's out for the year. Got hurt last year as well. And UConn's starting quarterback, Taquan Roberson, excuse me, from Penn State, transferred from Penn State, gets hurt the opening night of the season. Now Andre Jackson. So UConn cannot catch a break injury-wise. Let me tell you, man, it's, it's you know, listen, grateful to be a UConn Husky, but man, oh man, oh man, they cannot catch a break with injuries. That said, I think it's time for me to get out of here on today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. We'll be back on Friday, our traditional preview. We're going to talk Texas or Tennessee, uh, Bama. We're going to talk on top of that also Penn State, Michigan. I have some interesting thoughts on that. LSU, Florida, Mississippi State, uh, Kentucky, on and on and on. Really fun weekend, Utah, USC. Let's not forget about that one. So excited to discuss these games. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure to subscribe. Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also make sure to rate and review the show. By the way, a couple of you have asked about the the sound quality. New mic coming on Thursday. We tried a few different parts last week. It didn't really work out. It didn't really change anything. We're getting a brand new mic, an expensive if – this, if this doesn't work, we might just cancel the podcast. Uh, but new mic Thursday. Hopefully everything sounds better next week. But we're getting there. This has been a process. I appreciate everybody's patience as far as that's concerned. But it is time for me to get out of here, and I do appreciate everybody's support. Shout out to Thorncrantz. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick. You F it. I'll be back on Friday, the College Football Weekend preview episode –